You're listening to the podcast version of Unnecessary Roughness from LVSportsNetwork.com, brought to you by Porta Subs. It's Unnecessary Roughness, presented by the Jewelers of Las Vegas. I don't think that's a problem. I think we've thrown it. We threw the ball downfield yesterday. Some we threw it. You know, I mean, there's opportunities that we uh, have. You know, maybe haven't converted on, or some other things that go on on those things. But certainly have plenty of opportunities to do both. I would say. So I don't think that's really a big, big factor in this. I think we got to do a lot of things better. You know, if we want to run the ball the way we can run the ball. So a lot of work ahead of us. This is unnecessary roughness live at the Splash Cantina inside the Oyo Hotel and Casino. Here's your boy Q. Q. There was head coach Josh McDaniels right there talking about the vertical passing game and not stretching the field. And he was asked about that earlier today at the Intermountain Health Performance Center. And he said he didn't think that that was a problem, right? I mean, the Raiders just kind of been off kilter for a lot of their offensive possessions and really haven't had a whole lot of offensive possessions. You'll hear from more from head coach Josh McDaniels around 4 o'clock here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Unnecessary Roughness will do a little few sound bites from what he had to say earlier today. But right now you'll hear from the voice of the Silver and Black. That's our good friend Jason Horowitz. He joins us on the phone lines. And Jason, thanks so much for your time. And I'll tell you, man, the first drive looked outstanding. Five plays in the end zone. Man, it's going to be a good day at the office until it wasn't. From your vantage point, man, what really changed? What did the Bills do to the Raiders defensively to slow that down and make sure that they weren't they weren't very good offensively? Well, let me let you into what was going on in the booth. So from our vantage point, uh, two things happened. Number one, there were some bees that were coming into the booth after the 7 nothing lead. So maybe that was unleashed on the field, too. Uh, <laughs> and it wasn't just in the Raiders' radio. <laughs> uh, but not only after the initial drive, and I know we're not supposed to do this, but after the three and out, so they're up seven nothing, and then they force a three and out, and and I would go to commercial, and I turned to Lincoln off the air. I'm like, we're going to the Super Bowl. <laughs> 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 so, you know, it kind of turned from there on the uh, tipped interception on the screen pass and everything that happened there. I, you know, it's interesting. Like, what stood out to me, and and I haven't watched the film. I know I've seen some people on Twitter put out put out a bunch of different stuff and videos about hey, what 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 Jimmy was missing and. You know, look, I, I think all of us forget how hard it is to be an NFL player sometimes the day after, mm-hmm. right? So, like, that happens. Um, but but it, just from being up there, like, it felt like it felt like the certainly he was under more pressure, but he also was definitely kind of hopping in the pocket a little bit more. And he was reading his progressions, and he was going left to right or right to left. And, like, that definitely was happening, and it felt like he was holding on to the football longer. And, you know, I don't know if it was, again, we're not privy to any of the play calls or any of what his reads actually are from where our vantage point is and things of that nature. But, like, just from a, from a second count, it felt like either he was a little bit shy to go deep or, or, or wasn't there. He was not, there were a lot of checkdowns. So um, that felt different than Denver. And, and, again, I'm not positive why or what they were missing or what he was hitting or lack thereof. So I, I wonder where that plays a role. How long do you think it takes in a regular season to, to kind of get to know who a team is going to be? I mean, it's week two. We saw a win week one. We saw a blowout week two. How long do you think it'll take until we actually know what this team or who this team is going to be? Three, four weeks, I think it's fair. Yeah. You know, I think everyone wants to overreact week one, understandably so. And then week two, there's a little bit of a theme that develops, but it's also in context to who you played against. Like, Tampa Bay's 2-0. and with wins right. over Chicago and at Minnesota. Um, but, you know, I think most people think Chicago's not very good and, you know, maybe Minnesota's luck has run out in one score game. So, so I don't know. But maybe Baker may feel, you know, everyone wants to say, well, they were tanking to be in the Caleb Williams conversation. Well, maybe they feel okay about a former number one overall pick. You know, so I, mm-hmm. I think with regards to the Raiders, 
Look, if you would have asked 100% of Raiders fans uh, and media folks, hey, you're predicting every game of the season. Q, you and I both think that 90% of people, if not more, would have chalked up a Bills game going into the year. It's like, that's tough one to win, right? Yeah. Now, yep. You don't want to lose 38-10. to 10. And, and I right. was listening to your podcast the other day. Before, By the way, shameless plug, I listen to your, uh, your uh, crossover podcast every day before the game to listen <laughs> to you and whoever we're playing against locked on podcast. Uh, nice. to make sure that uh, you guys are talking about the same things that I'm thinking about. Uh, but I was listening to that, you know, after my run on Sunday morning, and, you know, you didn't think that they'd get blown out. And I, I didn't know, frankly. Um, yeah. All the emotion, really, and Josh Allen coming up a terrible game historically is really good the next game, and that happened. So I, the running problem is real. Can they fix it, uh, right. I think, is the interesting thing. But in saying that, you know, we were not a great running the first three games last year either. You know, I don't remember right. the complete statistics, and I think Josh's yards per carry were much stronger. But we didn't have a whole lot of rushing yards the first three games. It wasn't until Denver Week 4 that it really broke open. Um, but but there, that's got to change. And if that doesn't change quickly, this, this season's going to go down south. Right. And with that being said, when it comes to Josh Jacobs, and that kind of segues right into the question I wanted to ask, how long do you think it's going to take for him to be on the same page? Because I think that that's what it is a lot of, is being on the same page with the offensive line. Just doesn't have the timing down right. I don't know. You think that's, you think it's about that? Because, I mean, he's getting, he's getting hit. Now, look, the reality is Josh was, was the best in the NFL last year at mm-hmm. yards after contact. So, right. you know, he never went down in the backfield and, frankly, hardly ever went down after the first hit. But he's got, at least through two weeks, I mean, he's got guys all over him immediately. Right. So, especially on Sunday. So I think that's different. Now, you think if that's timing, that's an interesting question. Um, but, but, you know, Pittsburgh's going to be without Cam Hayward. He's on IR. Uh, they're not, you know, TJ, you certainly have Watt and some other guys, but it's a brand-new front seven. San Francisco was able to kind of do whatever they want. We'll see what happens tonight against Cleveland. Uh, I, I think it's going to be a different game next week. I do. Hopefully. <laughs> right, right, Raider Nation is hoping that you're, <laughs> you're, you're spot on about that because I don't think they could take another game like that. And that was painful, man. 38-10, to 10, I felt like that they had a real good opportunity against a really good team to kind of show who they could be and who they're going to be. And, and I don't think that what you saw week two is eventually who the Raiders are going to be. But like you yeah. said, just don't know who they're going to be all in all until you can get a handful of games, probably about four games under their belt, you know. But they've got to have a better showing on their season home opener against Pittsburgh Sunday night. You know. You know, the other part to all this, too, and, you know, again, this is not a new conversation. The defense has to be better, and everyone knows that yep. going into the year. And, and it, it felt that way week one because the statistics and only giving them three points in the second half. And, you know, Denver against Washington, I know Russell wasn't very good in the second half and they blew the lead, but they, they had some big numbers even before the Hail Mary. So, like, maybe it's so that, hey, this is better than we thought. Um I, what, I, what I kept pointing out during the broadcast, and it doesn't matter because they moved up and down the field and the Raiders couldn't get off the field, but, you know, the problem last year of giving up big plays, there was nothing big yesterday. It was right. dink and dunk and dink and dunk and dink and dunk. And, like, there was one point deep into the third quarter. I don't think the Bills had a play longer than 14 yards. Right. But, but it was six here, nine there, eight here, seven there, four there, nine here, and it was consistent. And, right. and that's, you know, somehow they've got to come up with some negative plays on first down. Jason Horowitz is our guest here on Raider Nation Radio 920, Necessary Roughness. It felt like, to just kind of piggyback off what you said, it felt like the Raiders were waiting for Josh Allen to can't take it no more. i got to go deep. I've got to go and try to hit the home run ball. And he was very patient on Sunday and decided, yep. if you're going to give me this understuff, I'm going to take this understuff. 
Yeah, I mean, <laughs> well, he was 13 of 13. He was, what, 25 of 29. He was whatever the number was. And, uh, and frankly, Q, like, Russell Wilson was like that, too. Right. You know, yep. the, other, the other day. I don't, I don't remember what his final numbers were, were in week one, but he had a high percentage of complete, And he had a high percentage of completions against the Raiders in the two games last year, too. I, you know, some of that stuff is covered up by a win. Right. And resiliency and, you know, the ability for Jimmy Garoppolo to make massive plays. Like, all of it. It was a weird game. And, yeah. and this was a weird game. Like, you don't see many games that have six drives. Uh, like we had in week one, and you don't see many games where one team has the possession time, time of possession 40 to 20, right. like this one was. So they were two very weird games in very different directions so far. Yeah, 13 snaps in the second half. Like, what are you going to do with 13 snaps? That's one drive for some teams. That was the whole second half for the Raiders on Sunday. <laughs> you're you're going to smell a whole lot of wings in, in Highmark Stadium. I was commenting <laughs> the link about how great it smelled. And I had some on Saturday night, like – I had some great wings at Duff's, and it, and it smelled great in the stadium. Nice. I love it. I love it. Well, one thing that Jimmy wasn't able to do until very late in the game is get Hunter Renfro involved. He has one catch so far through two games. Um, do you, I was surprised because Jacoby wasn't there, that he wasn't targeted. Are you seeing Hunter not getting open from that, or what are you seeing from your angle? I, you know, it's something we're certainly talking about a lot, and, and yeah. I think Hunter definitely needs – to be more involved, and you know, and and, and as, as Josh McDaniels said today, you know, there were opportunities to get him the football, and I think we saw that too. Um, I I do I do wonder uh, if Jacoby were playing, what would have been, you know, what would have been different. I, I don't know the answer to that, right? We'll we'll never know yeah. what the answer to that is, and I guess we'll find out uh, if and if and when he's coming back this weekend. Is as Josh McDaniels said, he's progressing, but he's not there yet, so I don't have to guess. Um, look, there's a reason. There's a reason they signed him. He was the number one receiver and worked hard to be that in New England. Uh, he's a great complement to Devontae Adams on this team. And, you know, we saw the showcase of that week one. I, I, they have to, there has to be a progression. Hunter, he, Hunter Renfro is too good of a slot receiver um, to not have an impact at all. And, right. and, and you got the feeling that at some point with the timing and, and all of those other things that that, that will change. Yeah, it has to. I mean, I think it has to, especially with Jacoby Myers out. I mean, he doesn't have to get the same amount of targets. He doesn't play the same position. But, man, he's, he's a weapon. We know that he could be good yeah. with the ball in his hands. Just got a couple more questions for you real quick. Uh, rookies, Jacorian Bennett, Tyree Wilson, what have you seen from them so far through a couple weeks? Jacorian struggled. Uh, I mean, the whole defense has struggled. Yeah. But, like, Jacorian, I think, has struggled a little bit. Um, and, 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 you know, we talked to Eric Allen um, about what – the difficulties are for a defensive back in your first couple of games. And, you know, he was reminiscing about what it was like for him in his first and second and the difference between week one to week two of his rookie year. So, look, Jacorian Bennett is a physical corner. He is a fast corner. He's a guy in his career who has made plays on the ball, and they've put him in a position um, to make some plays. And the question is, will he – will that improvement show? Will we start to see that? And, and only time will tell on that. Um, I don't really feel like Tyree Wilson yet has made an impact, and I, and I right. think that's a fair assessment of the number seven overall pick. Um, how much of that is based off of coming off the foot injury, the surgery? Uh, again, none of us really know. But, right. but I think it was – maybe it was you who asked this or someone else in the press conference today, but about you know, Max being double-teamed, what happens then? Yep. And until the Raiders show that someone else can win a one-on-one battle to get to the quarterback and it doesn't take five, six seconds to do it, 
Max is going to get double and triple teamed every game because right. he has shown that he is unstoppable. But there's only so much he can do. Uh, and, 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 again, this is a situation that none of us really know what's going on, whether or not he's ever back with the team. Again, none of us know. Chandler Jones statistically did not have a good year last year. But Chandler Jones, I'm going to guess, schematically caused teams to play Max Crosby differently. Right. Yeah, someone's got to step up. And I did ask that question to Coach McDaniels because Buffalo said 98's not going to wreck the game. Whatever we do, 98 and number 8 aren't going to wreck the game, and neither one of them had an impact on the game on Sunday. Final question for you, Jason. Wanted to ask you about two more uh, rookies on the offensive side of things, Trey Tucker and also Micah Mayer. Uh, I like Tucker, what he was able to do on the little jet sweep, got a 30-something yards, thought that that was great. And Michael Mayer, it looks like he's starting to slowly get involved into the offense. What have you thought about those two guys? Yeah, Trey Tucker being active is a big deal, and I'm excited to see what they're able to do with him moving forward. Uh, you know, and Michael Mayer's, you know, kind of having his his uh, welcome to the league and, yeah. and, and looking forward to as they get him uh, more involved. And, and, you know, I think we'll see that moving forward. And you're also kind of seeing him with six offensive linemen as they're trying to figure out how to run the football too. Right. Yeah, there's no doubt. Sir Whiskey Ray just asked me to ask you, what kind of Raider Nation representation was in Buffalo? Uh, good Raider Nation. Good Raider Nation. Hey, this is not you. I'm so sorry. I got to run. All so right, brother. Started. No, no worries. There he goes, Jason Horowitz, the voice of the silver and black. Uh, he was uh, taking—he was doing uh, baby duties, uh, and that's okay. I totally understand. Uh, that's how we do sometimes around here. But uh, th- definitely appreciate uh, Jason and his time this afternoon. And yes, sir, Whiskey Ray. It sounds like uh, there was a pretty good amount of uh, Raider Nation. It looked like, from what I saw from videos and pictures, looked like uh, Raider Nation was represented pretty well there in Buffalo. But uh, not that it mattered. It was a 38-10 to 10 loss by the Silver and Black. Disappointing. I uh, thought the performance, like he said, I thought it was going to be a lot better. I thought the Raiders were going to be able to keep it close, and they weren't able to. So uh, get back to the drawing board, figure out what worked and what didn't work, uh, and figure out how to make it the best of it moving forward. So many thanks to Jason for giving us a few minutes of his time this afternoon. What's up, Vice Raider? Vice Raider's in the house. Wife's in the house. Uh, it's all good. We're having a party now. Now the party's official. There's a big old black box that uh, Vice Raider just walked in this building with. Who knows what that is, but it looks like it could be trouble. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll open that bad boy up in a few minutes and, uh, and see what's in there. But we want to hear from you as well, Raider Nation, 702-365-9200, and also the don'tbebroke.com text line, 69187, keyword R&R. Like this text from Lady Raider 559, everyone complaining about the coaching staff. The O-line didn't give anyone the time of day. Jimmy handed off to Jacobs, and Oliver was already in the backfield. The screen that got intercepted was on a tip. Jimmy was running for his life. How does the nation want him to drop back and pass? And when he gets enough time, Trey Tucker couldn't come down with it inbounds. Make it make sense. That's Lady Raider 559. And that's look, she's absolutely right. Jimmy G was under pressure all day. The one thing I'll give him credit for, and I know that this doesn't show up in the stat sheet, for the most part, he stood in the pocket and, and still surveyed the field. Now, Jason brought up a good point, though, that he kind of hopped a little bit, so it looked like he was getting, and hopefully that's not the case, maybe getting a little happy feet, maybe getting a little indecisive of where he wanted to go with the ball, but he had pressure on him throughout the whole course of the, the, the game. Right, and he did move the pocket a little bit and trying to get the ball down the field to different guys. That one to Trey Tucker I thought was going to be good, but that ball really sailed. I mean, it really did, and there was no doubt. And that was a real weird play. I'm glad you brought that up. That was a really weird play. To me, and this is just my, me saying, it looked like clear pass interference. At first, the officials called it a catch, which was obvious. I don't know why officiating got so lazy. It was so obvious that it wasn't a complete catch, that he was out of bounds. They, they threw the pass interference flag. And then they picked it up and said, okay, he was out of bounds and there's no flag. That one blew my mind. I didn't understand that. And I saw and I loved how Josh McDaniels told the official that that was BS on the sideline. He didn't say it in those words. 
he used words that I'm obviously not uh, gifted to say here on the radio. And I, I can appreciate that because I thought that was a complete BS, especially if you look at the, the pass interference penalty they called on Nate Hobbs, where I don't disagree that it was pass interference, but I think it was a lot of pass interference on both sides. I thought Stephon Diggs was very handsy with Nate Hobbs, and I thought Nate Hobbs was, was very handsy with him. So I thought it was a lot of jockeying back and forth. That, to me, was one where you don't call anything, right? You just say, hey, you know what? These guys are battling. Fine. No problem. It wasn't like Hobbs interfered with, with Stephon more than Stephon did with Nate. I mean, they, were, they both were jockeying for a position and looking for the ball. So I didn't like that. And then to flip it around and not call – the P.I. when uh, they took that shot to Trey Tucker, I thought that was also B.S., but that's just me. So, uh, yeah, the, the offensive line has got to continue to, to get better in gel. Josh Jacobs has got to be able to get better in gel. Uh, I think a little bit of that, or I think a lot of that is, is timing with the offensive line hitting the hole. Uh, I know Jason, when we just talked to him, he kind of questioned that a little bit, and maybe he's thinking it's Josh Jacobs just not having having the juice right now to be able to to hit the hole and, and break a tackle or two, but he shouldn't have to break a tackle four yards back in the in, in the backfield, right? I mean, Ed Oliver was literally – he almost took the ball out of Jimmy G's hand when it was handed to him. He was so far in the backfield. So, you know, Buffalo's a really good team. I underestimated them. I have no problem saying that. Uh, plenty of people hit me up on Twitter on Sunday. I thought the game was going to be close, Q. Hey, look, my bad. <laughs> Ish happens, right? I got it wrong, all right? I, I, I believed that this team was farther along than they were, clearly. It, it wasn't that. I underestimated what Buffalo was going to do. They came out with their hair on fire and instead of just lasting 15 minutes and, and then that, you know, that initial punch in the mouth was over. It wasn't. Uh, East Bay Raider Gray said Jimmy wasn't under pressure all day. He had good protection most of the game. Okay. I think that's, that's, that's um, I think that's a, I don't know. I don't, I don't agree with that. Let's put it like that. I don't agree with that 100%. I felt like he was under pressure quite a bit throughout the course of the, 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 the game. Uh, and even when he was able to deliver the ball, it felt like that there was still pressure around him and kind of closing in on him. But maybe, maybe you're right, right? I, I, like I said, I, th- I think that he had a little bit more pressure than, uh, than you're leading on to, but maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Uh, Sir Whiskey Ray hit us up and said, what's happening, gentlemen, on this Black Monday? I'll get straight to my point. Thank goodness yesterday's game only counts as one L in the loss column. I was wrong about my prediction, and you know what? I've moved on for our Week 3 opponent versus Steelers. Last I checked, we're tied for first with Kansas City through two weeks. Thanks, as always, Q, for letting us vent and hearing us out. Excuse me while I go to my liquor cabinet and get ready for tonight's game. That's from Sir Whiskey Ray. Uh, thank you so much for that text. I definitely appreciate you. And that's what you have to do, right? You cannot allow this loss to beat you twice. Because, again, it's only Week 2. So it's not like this game cost them a playoff spot or this game cost them this, that, and the other. The good thing, I guess if you're looking for silver linings, like I mentioned earlier today on the podcast, the, the Broncos lost another one, the Chargers lost another one, and the Chiefs won, and they don't really look very good right now. Their defense looked good, but their offense was not looking very good against Jacksonville. They picked up the victory, and that's all that matters. But, you know, you tell me that the Chiefs are going to score like 19 points, and I'd be like, okay, right? I think any team that goes up against Kansas City, if, they, if they, you tell them that they're only going to get 19 points on a day, you take that. So they've got to they've continue to – you know, they've got to continue to, to, to grow and build and, again, not allow this, this loss to beat them twice. Get back to the drawing board. Max has got to figure out what, what he can do, you know, when, when teams try to take him out. And now that, you know, they've seen this and put this on film, there's other teams that are going to try to do the same thing that Buffalo did. I'm not saying that they're going to accomplish that. And I know Max is going to do everything he can to not allow that to happen. But other guys got to put in work too. Other guys have got to put in work so they can't just focus in on Max Crosby. That's the thing that we've been talking about for – for a while now, right? You know, it's, it's Max has got to get help. And, well, <laughs> he didn't get any help on, uh, on Sunday at all. 
Uh, got a text from the 505. Props to UQ for doing the dirty work after a loss on to Pittsburgh. And that's all you can do. You can only get on to Pittsburgh, right? That's it. Again, uh, it's a long season. It's a really long season. And I'm not too sure exactly. I'm not 100% sure who this team is yet. I, I felt pretty, pretty good about the way that they won against Denver and obviously don't feel good about this loss at all. Right, this is definitely not the way that you want to continue to progress through the state, through the, uh, through the season. You want to continue to build, and it feels like they took a step back, at least against one of the better teams in the AFC. And at the end of the day, that's what matters. Uh, a couple more quick texts. This one's from Jim and Yonkers. I thought the defense played not to lose. We kept everything in front of us, and Allen took what we gave him. Funny thing, Q, we played our best uh, the first quarter, and nothing after that. Going back to last week, going back to last week about a rule. The Bronco who knocked out Myers was ejected yesterday. If he sat for knocking out Myers, this kid on the commanders would be okay. This rule needs to happen. Thanks for a great show. And, yeah, you're talking about Kareem Jackson. And, uh, yeah, he knocked, out, he knocked out the tight end for the commanders, and that sucks. It really does. And I, and I, saw, and I saw from Jeremy Fowler from ESPN that, that uh, the league is not going to suspend him. But, look, one time on, on Jacoby you could play like, okay, that was an accident. I didn't mean to do that. Second week in a row. Same play, just about. I mean, the dude's headhunting. And Kareem Jackson is really strange. He's never been a dirty player. He's been in the league for a very long time. He's a veteran. I don't understand why all of a sudden he's going headhunting. Like, he's trying to reinvent himself and trying to throw, be a throwback player. I don't know. But that's two weeks in a row, and that's, that's just dirty. You know, and, and these little $14,000 fines, I say little. For, for people like us, that's a ton of money. But for them, that's a drop in the, in the bucket. I just don't understand why Kareem Jackson's out there headhunting and trying to knock all these players out. But it's two weeks in a row now he's done that. It's just, again, uh, that's foul. And at some point there's going to be some retaliation from a team that they're playing up against. I'm not encouraging that. I'm not saying to go do that. But at some point these other teams are going to get pissed off. Like, you're not knocking my, my guy out. You know, you, you take that cheap shot just like, like Colorado State did against Colorado, against, uh, against uh, what's his name? Uh, now I forget his name. Hunter. Tra- uh, uh, Hunter, yeah, Hunter, whatever the – I forget Travis Hunter. Yeah, it sounds right. Anyway, you know, it's just it's just not it's just not called for, man. It's just not there's no room in the game for those kind of hits that are. I mean, the game's already dangerous enough to be deliberately out there headhunting. It's just absolutely ridiculous. And to your point about not not playing to lose, that's what they did. They did not allow Josh Allen to throw the ball over the top, but they allowed him to have everything underneath, and he took everything. He was very patient. It was not about okay, well, they're not going to let me throw it deep. I'm going to do it anyway. He was like, yep, I'll just take what's in front of me. And he did, and he was very efficient all game long. Let's go out to the phone lines real quick, talk to Rich in Oakland. Rich, welcome to the show. What's on your mind? Hey, good afternoon, Coop. How you doing? Um, down, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to let them get to me anymore, bro. It's, I, it's been so long going through the same old stuff with this team, especially, especially with this defense. It's been – it's crazy that it's 25, 30 years that we're drafting in the top 10, and we still ain't got no defense, Q. Like, yep. it, don't make, it don't make no sense to me how there's other teams that go to Super Bowls and they compete, they blow it all up, and they come back and they still have a better team than us. Like, we got one player on the Raiders on defense, which is Max Crosby, and arguably nobody else on the on the defense that started right now would start on any other team. And, you know, that's that's a wild take. But, man, we could argue that it's true. And, and it doesn't make no sense to me how we could just continue to be so bad at drafting, at bringing in free agents. And it's tough. It's tough for Raider Nation. And, I, you know, you see on Twitter, everybody's losing it. I'm not going to lose my mind over a week two game. We're going to find out who this team is week three, though. All right? 
Hey, good stuff. Go ahead. Oh, okay. <laughs> sorry, I guess. Sorry, I guess we lost you, Rich. But yeah, I think you're gonna learn a lot about this team in week three, and I think it has to do with what Ed Graney said earlier when he was on the show when he said, uh, you know, we'll learn how this team handles a, a blowout loss like that. Getting beat like that, that that's that really that's really gonna show you how this team rebounds and what they're made of. That's that, I think that he brought up a great point. Uh, that's something I'll probably uh, you know kind of focus in on throughout the course of the week. How does this team rebound from a Bad, embarrassing loss like that. Um, you want to get Stove real quick? Do you have time? Let's go to Stove real quick. And we got Dan Graziano from ESPN coming up. Stove, what's on your mind? Welcome to the show. Hey, Q, I'll make it quick. Listen, uh, I'm the eternal optimist when it comes to the Raiders. I always root for them. But listen, anybody that didn't see us losing in Buffalo was just talking themselves into something that wasn't real. Just because we saw Josh Allen melt down on Monday, they're a really good team. They're playing at home. This was a terrible loss because we all watched it. But we're in position to beat the Steelers at home, which we absolutely should, and beat the Chargers in week four, which we absolutely can. So anybody who's feeling negative about the Raiders right now has every reason to feel that way. But we're in position to be three and one through four games if we, if we can play well. But we need more help on the defensive line because that is awful to watch. I'm keeping it quick. Thanks for everything, Q. Go Raiders. Appreciate you, Stove. Good call. And, yeah, I mean, look, I didn't, I didn't pick the team to win. I thought that they had a fighter's chance. I thought they were going to keep it close. Clearly they didn't. Like I said, I obviously uh, underestimated Buffalo or I overestimated the Raiders. One of the two, it doesn't matter, right? I guess it's uh, six one way, a half a dozen the other, right? I mean, I guess that's just kind of how you look at it. Uh, it, it just it wasn't the performance that I thought that they were capable of making. Um, you know, they got to figure out how to get – Defensive help, defensive pressure. Uh, Josh Allen is too good of a quarterback to not hit him. And Spillane got to him once, and and Diablo got to him once, but it felt like it was so late in the game it didn't matter at that point. So there was that. But uh, thank you so much for that call. Rich in Oakland, thank you for your call as well. Sorry we got a little broken up at the end. Uh, we're trying to hustle up and get as many calls in as possible. That was on me. But, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll keep this party rolling. We got Dan Graziano from ESPN. He'll take a, a dip around the NFL as the Panthers and the Saints are getting ready to kick off Monday Night Football. Of course, there's a doubleheader tonight, so we're looking forward to that. And then, obviously, we'll get back to your calls in text as well as we're continuing to talk about the Raiders' 38-10 to loss to the Buffalo Bills. We're here at the Oyo Hotel and Casino. We're inside the Splash Cantina. Come on by, hang out with us. We got plenty of prizes for you. Tickets, koozies, cups, and a whole lot more. It's Radio Nation Radio 920. This podcast version of Unnecessary Roughness on LVSportsNetwork.com is brought to you by Porta Subs. Make sure you check out Porta Subs' six-foot party trays. They're perfect for game days. You'll get your choice of three made-to-order classic subs made with premium meats and cheese on your choice of fresh-baked bread. Loaded with fresh veggies, toppings, and sauces. Game day six-foot trays serve 12 to 16 people, so you can sit back and enjoy the game. Available at all Las Vegas area Porta Subs, neighborhood sandwich shops, order ahead at portasubs.com. Back to throw Tua. Touchdown Miami to Hill in the slot. And Miami goes downfield with two minutes left to play in the half and gets back on the scoreboard. Now back to Unnecessary Roughness. Live at the Splash Cantina inside the Oya Hotel and Casino. Here's your boy Q. Tyreek Hill right there with the touchdown. The Miami Dolphins are 2-0 on the young season after getting a victory 
on Sunday Night Football against the New England Patriots. This is Unnecessary Roughness here on Radio Nation Radio 920. Join us now on the phone lines to kind of scatter shoot all things NFL is Dan Graziano from ESPN. And, Dan, thanks so much for your time. We appreciate you. What did you think about uh, Miami advancing to 2-0 and getting that victory over New England? How good is this Miami Dolphins team? Yeah, they're good, Q. I mean, like, look, after week one, I, I thought obviously winning the shootout with the Chargers, which surprised me, you know, my thought was, yeah, offense looked great, but they gave up 233 rushing yards, so let's see them tighten that up. And I thought last night they did, right? I mean, I, I think the Patriots are probably a better team than than people think, but, you know, they don't have the firepower, you know, they don't have the names, right, We're on offense that, like, Miami does and, and, and some of these other teams they're going to be competing with. But defensively, they're good, and, and I think you saw that. I think they were able to obviously limit Miami a lot more than the Chargers were. Um, but eventually they're going to get you. Eventually somebody they have is going to be fast enough to run by you, and they're going to score it, and that's what they've been so far. I think coming into the season, there were a lot of people that felt like if Tua could stay healthy, they would be a force. And obviously through two weeks, that has been the case. What we just don't know about Tua is that if. And, right, uh, because he never has even going back into his college days. So we get to the end of this season, and he's played every game, and and they're on top. Then you know you tip your cap, but that that will be the question that hangs over their season. You know, you've been covering the NFL for a long enough time. How long does it take, in your opinion, to really understand who a team is going to be in a regular season? Yeah, and that's an interesting question because um, as the thing has evolved, now there's only three preseason games and, and fewer and fewer teams are playing their starters in the preseason. Uh, I think there are people that will tell you, um, you know, in front offices and on coaching staffs that would say that September is really kind of an extension of the preseason. So I think the answer to your question is probably a longer amount of time than it used to take. Right. Uh, and I think that's important for people to remember, right? I mean, like, we look at the first two weeks of the season and we feel like, oh, my gosh, Miami looks great. Dallas looks great. I mean, <laughs> these are all true things, right? But yep. uh, sustaining it is the key, especially in a league where so much is determined by injury attrition. Like, we really don't know who's going to be healthy in a month, two months, three months, uh, and that's a big part of this as well. And then, you know, teams adjust. But I do think it's important for people to remember that we are still watching a very early part of the season, and because of the way the differences in the way various teams handle the preseason now, I think there are probably some teams that were more ready for this season to start than others. Dan Graziano from ESPN is our guest here on Radio Nation Radio 920, Unnecessary Roughness. One of those teams that are 0-2 is the Cincinnati Bengals, and then we found out that there's a situation going on with Joe Burrow and that calf again. How big of a concern is this for Bengal fans? Well, it's massive, I, I think. I mean, look, look, I was at that game and, and in that press conference room afterwards with Zach Taylor and, and um, Joe Burrow, and, and it, there's a concern. And, you know, they, they talked a lot about, well, we started 0-2 last year and we recovered, and they're right. They were in the AFC Championship game after an 0-2 start. Like, I believe they have the, the, the leadership and the intestinal fortitude to recover from an 0-2 start and still be a very good team and a, and a Super Bowl contender. The difference between this year and last year is last year the quarterback was not injured. And if he is injured and if he has to miss games, I don't know that they can overcome that, especially sitting at 0-2. And even if he doesn't have to miss games, if he's got to deal with this all year and carry it in the back of his mind that, that one wrong step could make the calf hurt again, right. that, that, has the, that has a chance to have a, a very negative effect on them. So uh, I was high on the Bengals. 
I, I thought, you know, I picked him to win the Super Bowl. I thought, but but he if he's not right physically, then everything changes because there's just no way. He's the heart and soul of everything they do there. And if he's not right, if he's not able to play, then um, that, that's trouble. I'll tell you, that whole calf situation ever since training camp gives me Kevin Durant with the Warriors type feelings, right? And I right? hope that that never not, happens, right? but that's what it feels like to me. Well, I mean, you know, right? Like, like, look, you don't even want. I mean, Aaron Rodgers had a calf injury in camp, right? Like, yep. like, you yep. know. But so, so obviously, again, I don't know what's going through Joe Burrow's head, but certainly, if that becomes a concern, then then it's it's bound to make you hesitant, right? And and this yep. is a, a a game in a league where split seconds make all the difference, right? You hesitate, and you know, all of a sudden, you're what? Justin Fields. Right. Yeah, exactly. We know how that's going right now for Justin Fields and the Chicago Bears. Again, Dan Graziano from ESPN is our guest here on Radio Nation Radio 920. Today, the Chiefs, they restructured Patrick Mahomes' deal. It runs through two, uh, 2026, $210 million. Uh, it's, it's basically the highest paid contract in the league for a quarterback now after the adjustment. Why only 2026, though? Why not 2031 like it originally was? The deal was always kind of structured in two halves, right? It was a 10-year extension uh, that ran through 2031. So the first five years of the extension were 22 to 26. And if you look at the way it's structured, the salary really goes way, way up in 27. So I think there was always a sense that through 26, he was at risk of, of you know, falling behind the market at the quarterback position, which is what happened. So they moved mm-hmm. some money up, uh, and they, you know, and, and they adjusted so that that's not the case anymore. So now, when they get to the end of 26 and they're looking at 27, you know, they probably adjust again. But the deal was built in such a way that the, the salaries, the roster bonuses, the cap numbers were always going to go way, way up in 27. Initially, he was scheduled to make $41.4 million in 2026. And in 50, what was it, uh, $59.4 million in 2027. Oof, so. You know, if by 27 people are making 70, 80 million a year, then they might have to adjust it again. But they also might not if, if you know, 59.4 is the top of the market. <laughs> that's that's such incredible know, numbers. Right? <laughs> oh my goodness! Is that, I mean, I know it's a, just a touch more than than, than they're than they're paying you and me, but but you know, it's, it's still, it's, yeah. you, me, and everybody else combined. That's yeah. incredible. That's the money that these guys are making. Much money, right? Yeah, and as long as they print money, these players are going to get paid money as well. Speaking they of paying gotta, money, they gotta get paid. Yeah. I saw this report earlier that the NFL is filing, filing a grievance against the NFLPA uh, having to do with the running backs and basically exaggerating injuries so they can have their leverage in contract negotiations. What do you think comes out of that? I think what comes out of that is really that it functions as kind of a warning, right? I think the league, my guess is it would be tough for them to to prove it right. in a way that um, that 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 yeah that makes their case, but um, I think you know putting out that statement uh, really kind of serves as like a hey you know maybe we got you guys got a little too aggressive here in terms of the advice you're giving and, and if you do continue to do that then we will take some action that that's my that's my hunch based on what little I know I mean this just came out a few hours yeah. ago so. I'm Yep. Sort of still hoping for some more information, but that's that's the sense I get. Yeah, it's 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 really weird. I think that you hit it on the head, though. It's kind of a warning, like, hey, we know what's going on there. Let's cut this out. You know, so mm-hmm. 
that's really all they can do because I can't see how they can prove it. Well, Dan, I want to wrap up and ask you about the Jets and their situation. We saw them against the Cowboys, obviously with Zach Wilson at the quarterback position. Cowboys have a strong defense, so I don't want to put it all on Zach. But, I mean, how far can this team really go with Zach Wilson as a QB, even though they have a great defense and a really good run game? I think what people are missing here is that the Jets don't have a choice right now but to go with Zach Wilson, at least for the short term. There's not this like extensive, you know, diner menu of available quarterbacks that they can that they can go pick from, right? Like right. there are not teams out there dying to trade you their quarterback or even their backup quarterback, quite frankly. Right. So I think they have to ride with Zach Wilson for a while until we get into October and we approach the trade deadline and teams have a better sense of are we in this, are we not in this, do we want to make a move that's significant like trading our quarterback. So what the Jets are doing and the reason their public comments are so strong in, in support of Zach Wilson is they feel like if they do not keep his confidence high, he has no chance. Right. Uh, they, they probably will not face a tougher defense than the one they faced yesterday. And they felt like the coaching staff there felt like he, he handled himself okay for the first three quarters and then started forcing things in the fourth and, and got into some trouble as a result. So they feel like they have stuff they can build on. Are they kidding themselves? I don't know. But they really don't have another choice right now. No, they don't. Like you said, there's not a diner. Uh, Every team wishes there was a diner you can go to and pick a quarterback off the menu of what you can get, and and then they save the day. Uh, What about the Cowboys and Mike McCarthy and and the way he's been coaching them up so far? Again, two games, don't want to get too high on on what they're doing, but looks like he's coaching, doing a pretty good job calling the plays uh, so far. I agree. I, I don't know how you can think otherwise at this point. Now, look, they, they dominate the game against the Giants. They get a blocked kick touchdown and an interception touchdown, and the offense really doesn't have to do much in the pouring rain, and they win 40 to nothing. Right. So that was nice. And, and then, you know, yesterday, efficient against the Jets. I mean, like, look, they're just they're playing with a lead. They know the defense is, is going gonna, is gonna to really harass the other team. I mean, there's going to be a game at some point soon where the Cowboys – you know, have to have to shoot it out with somebody. And then so what happens then? But I agree with you that I think Mike McCarthy has done a very good job here installing what he wanted to install, managing the games, calling the plays. Uh, you know, it's, it's West Coast stuff. He goes way back to, you know, Andy Reed, early days Andy Reid and, and West Coast stuff. And so it's about the quarterback's feet matching the receiver's routes and that timing. And Dak has talked about that in recent weeks, and he really feels like that has worked, and that's something that Mike McCarthy worked on with him all offseason that seems to be paying off. Again, only two games. Right. But I don't know how you can watch the Cowboys' first two games and not feel like Mike McCarthy and Dak Prescott are in sync and that this thing is working. Yeah, they are on the same page, and it looks good so far. We'll see how the rest of the season goes. But, man, two games, uh, thumbs up for them both both weeks against the Giants and obviously against the Gents. Well, Dan, great stuff as always, my man. What are you working on that we should be on the lookout for there at ESPN.com? Be on Get Up tomorrow. Um, nice. And uh, that will be fun. And uh, and Friday and then this weekend I'm, I'm sort of spinning forward. I got the Packers, Saints, Packers. I got to watch the Saints tonight because I got them next week. So, um yeah, a little everything uh, like usual, but uh, get up tomorrow morning and, you know, sports centers and whatever else they need me to do. Well, we'll be paying attention, man. You do a great job. We definitely appreciate you this afternoon. Thanks, Q. Take care.
Yes, sir. Yes, sir. There he goes. Dan Graziano right there from ESPN. Uh, catch him on Get Up tomorrow morning. I will. I'm always checking out uh, Get Up. That's kind of my, my go-to. I, I turn on ESPN in the morning, bright and early, usually around 6.30, start watching Get Up, and then when it's over and it's time for first take, I put it on ESPN2 and watch Get Up again <laughs> because I am not a first take guy. That's just me. I, I'm part of the brand, but I'm not that guy. So, uh, yeah, I'd much rather watch Get Up twice than um, – then first take once, but that's just me. So Dan Graziano, many thanks to him for giving us a few minutes of his time. Uh, we got some more calls and texts that we'll get to, but before we do any of that, though, I do want to hook up the Ultimate Raiders hookup. I want to give you that opportunity to get into Allegiant Stadium this upcoming Sunday night. Of course, it's prime time. The Raiders and the Steelers, it's going to be fun. Can't wait to be out of the torch for the pregame show and the pre-pre-show and see all the Raider Nation finally get an opportunity this season to be inside Allegiant Stadium, and we're trying to hook you up right now. We're going to get you that qualifying prize, Raiders merchandise, Raiders image gift card, whatever the case may be. Whatever we have in the closet, we'll definitely uh, get you hooked up with. But more importantly, that gets you in to win the grand prize, two tickets to the game, two field passes, and an autographed player jersey. You can put it on the wall. You can wear it. Whatever. It's, hey, that's on you. Me personally, I put it on the wall, but that's just me. So whatever you're going to do with whatever you're going to do it with, we got you. So 702-365-9200. Caller number nine is exactly what we're looking for right now, trying to get you in to win the Ultimate Raiders hookup with Raider Nation Radio 920. Now back to Unnecessary Roughness. Live at the Splash Cantina inside the Oya Hotel and Casino. Here's your boy Q. We're here getting ready for Monday Night Football game number one. The Saints and the Carolina Panthers right now. Former Raider quarterback Derek Carr is being interviewed on TV. This is a recorded interview, so it's nothing uh, brand new, but something that some feature ESPN did. But this will be a decent game, nice little division game right there. The Saints and the Carolina Panthers, that will follow. Uh, the, the game following that will be the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Cleveland Browns, another divisional game right there. And it will give Raider Nation an opportunity to see what Pittsburgh looks like, do a little bit of early scouting report on the team that's coming into Allegiant Stadium on Sunday for primetime action. Of course, we've got tickets to that. Dwayne, shout out to Dwayne. He actually got in to win a pair of tickets to that, the Ultimate Raiders hookup. So, Dwayne, we definitely appreciate you. Uh, we have winners on this show. That's what we do. Speaking of winners, Christopher Smithson and Dan Smith, both winners uh, from our Boyd Gaming uh, hookup that we had last week. We got them in to win on the show. And, uh, well, we didn't get them. Morning Tailgate and JT did. Uh, but they were the winners, and so we'll hear from them before the show is over as well. Again, we have winners here on Radio Nation Radio 920. I try to get as many winners coming from this show directly because I'm greedy. That's just kind of what I do. I want to have all the winners on uh, on this show. So, Dwayne, thanks so much for listening. appreciate uh, you being called number nine, and you are now in to win the Ultimate Raiders hookup. Got a bunch of text messages that I want to get to, 69187, keyword r and it's a text line. DC Raider from the Bay said, yeah, Jackson should definitely be suspended. Talking about Kareem Jackson from the Broncos. I know if a Raider did it two weeks in a row, they'd have suspended him for the year. Same as that dude from Colorado State. He should be suspended for a few games. I, I hope Hunter gets well fast. He's a tremendous football player. Uh, as for Sunday's game, we need to improve in the run game, and our D-line needs to improve once again. All those outside runs going for 10-plus yards is terrible. Crosby being our leader should not be the one going inside every play almost. I don't understand why we don't use Tucker more. That dude can fly, especially when we pass. He can stretch the defense to improve our short pass or our run game. We have one player teams are scared of, and that's Adams. You double-team him and stack the box. It's game over. D.C. Raider from the Bay, thanks for the text, my man. And Yeah, I think that Trey Tucker is going to definitely get involved more in the offense. He was only active for the first game on Sunday. You saw him with the nice little jet sweep and picked up 30 yards on it, and he's got speed that, that you know, is, is something you can't teach. You either got speed or you don't. 
Uh, he had an opportunity to catch that ball, that deep ball, but it kind of sailed out of bounds. So really, you know, I, I don't put that really on him. I just put that really on the ball, went out of bounds. But I think you're going to see him get more and more involved each and every week, and they do have to have that element. I know that's not Jimmy G's, you know, forte is throwing the ball deep, but they've got to be able to have that element of stretching the field or else the teams are going to load the box and load the box and load the box and keep loading the box and make life very difficult on one Josh Jacobs, especially until Jacoby Myers comes back. And maybe he comes back this week. Maybe he doesn't. Josh McDaniel said that he's progressing but wouldn't say exactly where he was in his progression because he didn't want things to, you know, not go the direction that he's supposed to go and then him not be available. So thank you so much for that text. I do appreciate you. Uh, let's see. We got a text from the 806. Uh, feels like our defense is still not going to be picking balls off very often. I know it's early, but zero picks isn't a great start. Already getting that feeling of no hope for this defense. Two games, and I'm already sick of this blank with the D. That's from the 806. And, yeah, uh, Teamer, Roderick Teamer had an interception, but he got called back because of Nate Hobbs and that, that uh, hand-to-the-face penalty. And then the week before that, they had the fumble recovery on, uh, on Russell Wilson's fumble that got called back because of the Marcus Peters penalty. So, again, things have to go right. You can't just do – like 75% of what you're doing right and hope that the other 25 is going to work out okay. If you are executing on defense, it's got to be 100%. Like you've got to be able to – everyone, all 11 guys have got to be doing their job correctly. You can't have a penalty here and think that that, penalty, that, that interception is going to work. It just – it isn't. The one time Max Crosby got pressure on Josh Allen, it came up – it was a good positive play. Interception for Teamer, returned it about 18 yards, penalty. He gets called back. So, uh, again, creating turnovers has been a problem for this team. It's something that we've talked about here on the show. It's something Coach McDaniels has talked about uh, with the team uh, in the media room. Patrick Graham, the defensive coordinator, has talked about it in the media room, talked about it with the team. It's something that players have emphasized that they've got to work on, they've got to get better at, creating turnovers. And so far through two games, I mean, I, I guess they've been close a couple times, but not really. Close is great if you're playing horseshoes, but nothing else, right? I'm really not a big fan of close. I'm a big fan of getting it done. And so they, they've got to figure out, how to do that and how to create those turnovers. Those are big-time different makers. I mean, look, the Raiders were in a good positive direction until that first interception, until that tip ball interception, and then all of a sudden the, the Bills, they were cooking with grease. They start feeling good about themselves, and they never look back, right? And, and the thing about it, which sucks, is if that ball doesn't get tipped and the Bills come up with that interception, if you look at what Amir Abdullah had as far as green grass in front of him, I mean, that dude might still be running, right? I mean, he might not have stopped running. He had nothing but open, open space. So if Jimmy G could have got the ball to him, and I know could have, would have, should have, don't matter, but, man, that would have been a big-time play. But that's how this league is. It's, it's, a, it's a matter of inches. That ball gets tipped at the line of scrimmage. It's an interception for Terrell Bernard going the other way. That ball gets over the defender and into the hands of Amir Abdullah. That's a huge play for the Raiders the other way. It's a small, small, fine line. And the Raiders, unfortunately, on Sunday were on the wrong end of it multiple times. Got a text from the 831 talking about uh, Kareem Jackson in Denver. Oh, we know why all of a sudden Kareem Jackson is headhunting. Sean Payton, Q, he was already in trouble for Bounty Gate. Yeah, and, that, and thank you for the text. I mean, that's, that's something that you always got to think of. But, I mean, you can't – I guess you can't say can't. I wouldn't think that a guy would change his character of who he is. Kareem Jackson, for the most part of his career, for what I know, and I've covered him for a long time when he was even a Houston Texan, Dude's always been a stand-up veteran in the league. Like, he's never been one of those guys that you see in, in, in reports of being a dirty player. But through two weeks, knocking two different guys out, and now they're both going to miss time, it just feels like something's going on. Is it Bounty Gate? I would think that it wouldn't be. I would think that Sean Payton would learn from his 
you know, his time before. But, you know, you could be onto something for sure. Uh, when we come back, we'll get a couple calls in and we'll get some sound from head coach Josh McDaniels. We're live at the Oyo Hotel and Casino with Raider Nation Radio 920. And thank you so much for listening to the podcast version of Unnecessary Roughness here on LVSportsNetwork.com, brought to you by Porta Subs.